alaikum, dear listeners. Welcome to episode two of The Voice of La Reba. Over the past several weeks, we have seen horrific events unfold in Gaza and Israel. It would be inappropriate and in poor taste to start today's episode without a prayer for those who have lost their lives and protection for those who are injured, trapped, and displaced. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. It is against this backdrop of global conflicts and humanitarian disasters that business still continues, and as does business, so do industry events. Last weekend, I attended the second Al Barqa Summit. It was held in London, and the theme was Islamic Finance in the United Kingdom, the reality and the opportunity. Special shout out to the women in Islamic and ethical finance who shared event details with members. This event was attended by policymakers, industry leaders, and other specialists who exchanged insights and ideas on how we can collectively contribute to the future of the Islamic economy. Now, before I get into specifics around panel discussions, what was insightful, what was exciting, and what was just bland, let's take a look back on the adoption of Islamic finance in the United Kingdom. For nearly 30 years, UK authorities have taken a positive approach to Islamic finance. In 2001, the then Governor of the Bank of England chaired a high-level working group with representatives and other industry leaders, people from the Muslim community, and the then regulator Financial Services Authority. They wanted to examine the barriers to Islamic finance in the United Kingdom. In 2003, he referred to a conversation he had 10 years earlier, where he thought, many of the financial products commonly used in this country already had some of the characteristics that were consistent with the teachings of the Quran. If only we could come to a better and more precise understanding of the Islamic financial products, with a little imagination, we could surely find ways of fitting them into our legal and regulatory framework, on par with our traditional financial instruments. I'm not sure about being on par. With assets in UK's Islamic finance sector reaching $7.5 billion, there are possibilities to not just be on par with traditional products, but surely to surpass them. With terms such as ESG and sustainability just creeping up over the past few years, it has caused a stir in traditional financial institutions and also a hiring spree. Now words such as ethics, sustainability and governance are practices that are embodied within Sharia principles and those Sharia principles underpin Islamic finance. It's therefore no surprise that an Islamic finance task force was formulated in 2010 and another one recently formed this year 
the purpose being to ensure the adoption of financial products, but also to develop them across the market. What was also not a surprise, but certainly a disappointment, which might I add, even the splendor of the Grosvenor House and the tasty desserts could not keep at bay, was the alarming under-representation of women in Islamic finance. We were graced with 26 speakers, out of which only two were women. I don't know how good your math is, but that is 7%. I do, however, applaud the organizers, the sponsors, and the partners of the second Albarca Summit because the two speakers that did attend are powerhouses. They opened and closed the conference and did it effortlessly and with grace in the 45 minutes between them. What I was most excited about about this conference was Naz Shah. Ms. Shah opened the conference and is MP for Bradford West and is also chair of the All Parties Parliamentary Group on Islamic Banking and Finance. Now, Ms. Shah represents a strong voice in UK politics and the UK public sector for females, but particularly those from diverse communities. I have deep respect for Ms. Shah because she uses her position in public office to speak up on matters that require greater scrutiny. And it is that courage to speak up that is what affects change. It is the attitude of never settling, never settling for injustice, discrimination, and mediocrity. Now back to the middle of the conference, the panel sessions. What was exciting? What was insightful? And what was just a bore? Top of the list on exciting panels was Mr. Halid Holather's presentation on the Halal Web3 economy. Blockchain, decentralized finance, tokenization of digital assets, tokenization of real-world assets, everything digital. He gave us a whistle-stop tour of the blockchain, from investments through stacking, liquidity, and mining. Now, for those with a deep understanding and knowledge of blockchain and digital assets, the presentation might have been a bit too high-level. But what made it exciting was the enthusiasm for Islamic financial products to utilize blockchain, to use Web3 and that economy to its advantage. But to dabble in the world of digital assets requires robust compliance processes. Not only do legislative and regulatory requirements need to be met, particularly those related to investment products, of the digital kind, but also Sharia compliance. We cannot be naive to the possibility of Islamic finance organizations in the decentralized finance world being scrutinized more closely. Now, like any financial system, Islamic finance faces its own set of challenges. These include regulatory complexities, as well as the need for ensuring a robust Sharia governance framework that complements local legislative and regulatory requirements. 
there are nuances involved and it is not always black and white that was a constant theme that resonated in panel sessions throughout the summit the next panel that i found extremely insightful was a session delivered by dr bilal erdogan he talked about key challenges that lay ahead for the islamic finance industry he talked about the importance of establishing and sustaining the moral base for activities that are conducted as islamic and sharia compliant he said that we often hear the criticism that islamic finance is mimicking conventional finance by just replacing the word interest with profit sharing but he asked the question do these criticisms have some basis and that is a question that is worth deliberating on and also answering dr bilal talked about the need to constantly ask ourselves the following questions do we have enough mechanisms and processes to guarantee that products purported to be islamic finance and sharia compliant are indeed in line with islamic finance do we share risks with the provider and the user of products and funds and are profits stated aligned to the real profits Murhaba contracts shape 90% of Islamic finance balance sheets, and according to Dr. Bilal, it's important that these questions are asked for those products. He also noted a, a very interesting challenge that lay ahead, which was the need for human capital, trained, skilled people to practice in the industry. The Ibn Khaldun Institute in Turkey already offers Islamic finance degrees at undergraduate and master's level and is also a research facility. Next up, what was the most insightful panel? I have to say it was a Reeb Siddiqui session on the future of Islamic finance fintechs. He focused this session on the rise of Islamic fintechs by taking us on a journey through time, which has now led to Islamic Finance 3.0, the adoption of emerging technologies such as generative AI, Web3, venture capital, and who knows? The question I have is what's next and which one of these names will ride out the third wave of Islamic finance and surf into Islamic finance 4.0. From the National Zakat Foundation, it would have been great to see what some of those charities have done with donations and funds received, who has been helped, what projects are being worked on, Islamic finance is an essential component of the UK's financial landscape. There is no doubt about that. Providing ethical and inclusive financial services to individuals and businesses alike is the cornerstone of Islamic finance. As the sector continues to grow 
and bloom, it is crucial for all industry stakeholders to work collaboratively to address the challenges that are faced by us and to harness the benefits of this unique financial system. It's very important that we are able to collaborate, to partner, and to spread awareness around what Islamic finance is and what Islamic finance products are available. Faraz Khan opened the summit quoting M.F. Hussain. M.F. Hussain is a Muslim artist and he said, hold the skies in your hands as the stretch of your canvas is unknown to you. Mr. Faraz Khan took permission to alter this quote to fit the occasion. He said, for this conference, let's hold this guy in our hands, not only for the practices that we will lay down, because they are the foundation for our future generations. Now, Mr. Faraz Khan, if I may, I would like to alter this a bit further. The sky is already falling down, hands left outstretched and bare. The canvas is already known, so it is time to disrupt it. And that is what was missing from the second Albarca summit. Disruption. What is on the horizon? What is Islamic Finance 3.0? and beyond. Thank you for listening to episode two of The Voice of La Reba. I look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Now, if you enjoyed my content, please do subscribe, hit the bell notification if you are watching on YouTube, and look out for more content. Mm -hmm.